1 Corinthians 10, we are looking at verses 1 through 13. Our focus today will be verse 7. Let's read the text and ask the Lord to teach us. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate and the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them and the rock was Christ nevertheless with most of them God was not well pleased for they were laid low in the wilderness now these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but that it is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Father, I ask now that you would take this time and you would teach us. Father, our hearts, our souls would be sensitive to what you're showing us. Father, that we would hear with spiritual ears. And Father, the things that entangle us, the things that distract us, the things that are an offense unto you, This day would be that day of repentance, and we would lay it at your throne. We would no longer be concerned. Father, let us be concerned with the eternals. Let us be concerned with your plans, with your purposes. Let us be concerned with your agenda. To you, my Father, and my King, and our Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. We're looking at a, at a series that literally starts in chapter 8 when he makes this statement concerning things sacrificed to idols. We know that we have knowledge, but knowledge makes arrogant and love edifies. If anyone supposes he knows anything, he doesn't know, uh, yet know how he ought to know. And basically what it started with was, as a Christian, I understand that an idol is nothing All right, so food that has been offered to an idol is nothing. All right, let's go and let's eat. And Paul is dealing with the picture of Christian freedom. What is our freedom? Last week I took time to just deal with it because we needed to understand what freedom was. And yet we have in our, it's literally in our nature to allow things to master us. In chapter 6 of this letter, we've already looked at that. Verse 12 says this, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. We have, it's, it's funny because we in America today believe that we are free people and we are in charge of our own destinies and we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and all the rest of it. And yes, we're the greatest slaves that have ever walked the planet. We will put ourselves into slavery under some of the most silly things that you've ever seen. And we do it willingly. And it's literally because we were created as a creature to worship. All right? And whatever I worship will become my master. Okay? And that's what we're, we're dealing with here. He comes into chapter 10. We've looked at a lot of stuff, but he's given us some warnings. He says, now your freedom is, is, is just that. It's freedom. And I showed you last week in Galatians 5 that we are to fight for our freedom. Take a stand for your freedom. Don't just give it away 
Just because people say, well, I just don't think that's right, so I'm not. No, you stand and you fight so that the gospel is not tarnished, that the gospel isn't colored with a a work of human works. And you see it all over the place. Okay, and, and so what we were looking at is that these things happened as examples, verse 6, so that we would not crave evil things as they crave. The word there, crave, is epitomietes. Okay, and it's, a, it's an action. It's epitomia is the word that you know is to lust. Epi is an intensifier. E-P-I intensifies it. The thomietes is the action of, of a longing for something. So it's an intense longing for something. And he says, don't crave, don't lust for things. And the text that he's referring to is when the Jews got into the wilderness and decided that they were tired of the manna. They didn't want manna. I want something more to eat. And so he says, what about quail or things like that? And the truth of the matter is what they were doing is looking back at what if. But I remember when I was in this Okay, how many of us do that? How many of us look back before our salvation? We look back at, well, but I had fun doing this. Or why can't I do this? Or why can't I do that? And that's what he's saying. Don't do that. Don't, Don't fall into these things. Why? In chapter 9, verse 27, he says, I discipline my body, I make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. See, there comes, uh, there's a, a possibility in the Christian's life where he can become useless to God. He literally becomes disqualified for any testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I, I just look at it. They just take up space. That's all they do. And he's warning the Corinthians. He's warning you and I that there are things out there that can literally guide us in a path that we are calling freedom. And it takes us to a place where we become useless to the Lord. Okay. That's sort of that sets this thing up. But I need to take and show you something because I want you to understand a principle. He said, Israel was an tope, okay, an example, a model, a pattern. You need to avoid that model. You need to avoid that pattern, all right? He's telling the Corinthian church this. The fact that he wrote 1 Corinthians means that the Corinthian church is doing what? Following the pattern. They're following the example of Israel, where Israel literally became useless. A whole generation, except for two, were found useless to God. Now grab a hold of that. God is a God of patience. He'll wait a whole generation. Because he says, I'm going to do it my way. And you know what? I don't even care what your opinion is. You will. Remember when they were baptized into Moses? It literally means they were identified with Moses. You are here gathered today because you identify with Christ. And yet I wonder how many in this room today are doing it your way. How many would say, this is my ministry? Okay. Ministry is not yours. It is assigned to you and you're but a steward of it. You do not own it. Okay. I need to share with you because we've been warned. Okay. The Apostle Paul was preparing to have his head removed. And he knew that it was time to pass on his mantle, his, his ministry, his work needed to be carried on. And he had been investing himself in a young man named Timothy. In his last letters, I pay attention to a person's last. This is his last letter, Second Timothy. You don't have to go there. I just want to read you some of these texts. Chapter 2, verse 10 says this. For this reason, Paul says, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that 
they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with eternal glory. Right? Paul says, everything that is happening to me, everything that you have seen in my life, everything that I have endured is for one purpose. God's people. It's for God's people. Verse 26 of that chapter, he says this. Well, he talks about what you're going to be up against, Timothy. What you and I will be up against. Okay, he deals with in verse 22, flee youthful lust, pursue righteousness. You know, what is he running from? What is he running to? And then he says this in verse 24, the Lord's bondservant, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness correcting those in opposition. Why? If perhaps God... May grant them repentance. Anybody ever had opposition? Have you ever had opposition when you knew you was right? How many of you quarreled over it? Remember what the church in Corinth was dealing with? Divisions. Schisms. That would come from quarreling. They were suing each other. I am of Paul, but Paul said this. But I'm of Apollos. Apollos says this. I believe it should be this way. I believe it should be that way. I believe it should be done on this mannerism. I... He says, the Lord's bondservant doesn't quarrel. The Lord's bondservant, when he's wronged, he lays it before the throne of God and prays that God brings that person to repentance, leading them to a knowledge of truth. God, you know what he's saying here? He's saying, God, if you don't open their eyes to truth, I can't. And that's what he's saying. Look what he says. Why is this important? Verse 26, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare. It literally means a trap of the devil. Having been held captive by him, who's him, this devil, to do what? To do his will. To do his will. There are saints of God who get tangled up in a snare of the devil and they're doing the devil's work. And you can't open their eyes, only God can. Right? Now, he comes right out of that explaining to Timothy. You know where he's at? He's in a mammotine prison. He's in a hole preparing to die. And he's, he's explaining to Timothy, this is what is going to happen to you. And then in chapter 3, he makes this statement. But realize this, okay? What he's telling Timothy, he says, you know what? I'm telling you how to overcome it. I'm telling you what your walk needs to look like. You don't need to argue with people. Okay, you don't need to quarrel with people. Okay, you need to be able to teach. You need to be kind to all people. You know what? And you need to be patient when you're wronged. Because understand, Timothy, in the body of Christ, there will be people trapped by the enemy doing the enemy's work in the body of Christ. And then he says this, realize this, but realize this. He says, you know what, Timothy, you need to pay full attention to this. In the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding a form of godliness, although they have denied the power. Avoid these people. You know what he just described there? That's the church. It's the end of the age. It's the church. Difficult times will come. Why? The church will do what? Individuals in the church will do what? Become lovers of self. And you know what happens when a saint of God becomes a lover of self? Absolutely useless to God. Absolutely useless to God. And he sets them aside. 
He sets them aside. All right, now, if Paul is warning Timothy that this is coming, and that would be written in the late 60s, all right, 1 Corinthians written in the late 50s, where do you suppose we're at today? Pretty simple, isn't it? Pretty simple. But he says, you know what? We have a freedom. And we fight for that freedom. I will not lay aside my freedom for no reason whatsoever. And I shared with you, when should we get rid of our, lay our freedom aside? So there's a tension that exists. And, and a Christian who has freedom, I am free in Christ. I am not, I am not a slave to sin anymore. I'm not a slave to the law anymore. I am free from those things. All right. But I also have a time where I will not allow my freedom to master me. Freedom doesn't become if I am a lover of self, then I start wanting my freedom. First and foremost, I want my ways. I want my plans. I want what I need. I believe if I do this or if I do that, then this would be beneficial. And we can spiritualize it, brothers and sisters. I just shared with you out of Second Timothy three. That's Christians. Lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to their parents. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. I heard a message this morning. A dear friend of mine is preaching up in Denver and I went up to hear him. And, and, and he was preaching this morning on, uh, it's a good message, on the blessing of God in unanswered prayer. Okay? How you're literally strengthened when your prayer is not answered. Okay? How many times here have you ever been in a heartache? You ever been through a tribulation? You ever been through travail? You're suffering. Your heart is broken. You're confused. You don't know what you're supposed to do. You don't know. Everything seems black. It seems overwhelming. It seems like everything in the world is against me. And yet, what is your response? You want out of it, don't you? And you know what's tragedy is? When a Christian gets into that position, you know what their response to God is? I can't minister right now because I'm in travail. And the Apostle Paul said, you know what? I learned that his grace is sufficient. Even when I have a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan who's buffeting me, I've asked him to remove this thing three times, and God says, no. How many times when you get into a conflict with a Christian do you say, I'm going to another church? We do it all over the place, brothers and sisters. We do it all over the place. We're in a race. You cannot be a child of God and not be in a race. And you know that every child of God can receive a prize. And we are to run as to win. We are to run as to win. What does it mean to win? I think that may be an issue. What does it mean to win? I'm in this race. What am I winning? Well, some of you may be winning people unto Christ. Salvation. Literally having souls added to the kingdom. But some of you, it may be strengthening saints. Strengthening saints. Am I strengthening saints? Am I winning people to Christ? Am I being used by God? If you're not being used, you need to look at this text. You need to hear this text. Because this text says, you know what? God had a whole generation that was absolutely useless. And it was a picture. It was a model. It was a pattern for us. I shared with you guys last week, Haggai chapter 1. What happened? They had come out of captivity and they were getting ready to put the things of God back as the preeminence of their life. Because they had not been able to for 70 years. But the day-to-day grind of stuff, of their house, my house needs to be fixed. I need the curtains, the carpet, the paint job on the house. I need the doors. You know, I need this here. I need a new lamp. I need an old lamp. I need whatever. Uh, I need a new car. I need an old car. I need this. I need a vacation. I need to get my education. I need to get this. I need to get that. Where did God go? And that happened to Israel within five years of their being freed from Babylon. 
You know what's scary about this text to me? The biggest thing? Israel stumbled in the Exodus and they didn't have any distractions. There's nothing there. I mean, you're out in the wilderness. It isn't like, you know, you know, God, I think I want to go to the church this morning, but, you know, I got my new DVD, HD screen TV, and the playoffs are starting. They didn't have that. What did they have? They had the tabernacle, and then they had the tabernacle, and then they had the tabernacle. I mean, and if you didn't want the tabernacle, you could go wander around in the dirt. Okay? If we're going to be useful for God, first and foremost is I have to set my mind to it. Seek first His kingdom, His righteousness. Why? Because after that will come self-control. Self-discipline starts with yourself. It's self. It's inner man. We've been looking at this on Sunday night in Ephesians chapter 3. Why? May the spirit of the living God Himself strengthen you in the inner man so that you may understand You can't end up disqualified, useless. Now, please, I want you to understand something here. This is not loss of salvation. But you are no no longer able to win the lost. You are no longer able to strengthen the children of God. Why? Because it was a lack of self-control. I can't let my body do whatever it wants. And Paul is saying, be careful with your freedom. Remember I give you the illustration about the little boy who fell out of bed? He got in bed and he rolled out of bed and hit the floor. And his dad come in. He's in there crying. He says, what happened? And he says, I just stayed too close to where I got in. Too many Christians stay too close to where they got in. You can't do that. Why? You can fall out. I think about staying away from the edge. Um, I I moved to Colorado in 1979 because I, I, I was a climber. I liked climbing. And um, I had a lot of people ask me, are you afraid of heights? And I thought, well, kind of a dumb question, isn't it? Um, and, and when people would see me and I could walk up to the edge of a cliff and just look over and how do you do that? I don't know how you do that. I just get dizzy and all the rest of it. And um, I, the reason was I had a respect and I guarded that edge. I didn't do it because I was overconfident. I did it because I had a high respect of gravity. Okay? If I use the spiritual implications here, it wasn't the fall, it was going to be a problem. Okay? But I would be out of service. I would be out of service. Israel did not exercise self-control in the Exodus. If you're not careful, if you don't guard your mind, if you don't guard your body, your flesh, you can be disqualified. This, we just really need to pay attention to this, okay? Because it starts, it starts minor. I just looked back and thought, wow, it'd be more fun if I was doing this. Okay? Now I want to move into verse 7. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. You know what I like about that verse first foremost? Some of them were. Okay? All. We're under a cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses. All ate of the same spiritual fruit. All same spiritual food. All drank the same spiritual drink. Most God was not happy with. Some of them even become idolatrous. All right. I find that amazing to me, to be honest with you. How do you get out in the middle of the desert and have an idol? Okay, um, is it, now for Corinth, this is a big issue because their whole society was idolatrous. B.B. Um, Warfield says demons overwhelmed their society and manifested themselves behind every single idol, unquote. Okay, when you see an idol, understand what it is. It's demonic worship. Okay, that, that statue or whatever it is doesn't have anything behind it. But if a demon can sway you through that, he will. He will. There was no public occasion. There was no public anything 
that was not connected to an idol. I don't care what it was. If you were preparing to have a child, there was an idol. If you had a job, there was an idol. If you were in government, there was an idol. It didn't matter. If you were preparing to marry, there was an idol. There was an idol if you were going to build a home. There was an idol if you were going to do this. The entire society had a multiplicity of gods and all they were for every single aspect. If you had a little idol if you were planting a garden, you had an idol if you were raising this kind of uh, meat, if you were doing this, everything had an idol in it. Everything in their social framework had an idol. The jobs had idols. The families had idols. Everything. You've got to understand that was Corinth. But the mature, the strong in faith Christian... He understood. I've been taught by Paul. I've been here for a while. I know my way around. I'm a part of this. I have been separated unto Christ. I'm part of this society, and I can go into these peoples and these festivals, these times of celebration. I can go in here, and it's just for a time such as this that I've been here. So I can go in and evangelize these people. See, we can go to the festivals the stronger would say. I can go to the social occasions. I can go to some of these celebrations of our society. I can be involved. God doesn't want me to be a monk. He wants me to be involved. I don't have to fear this. I have confidence. In Christ, I am more than a conqueror, right? I'm mature. It doesn't bother me. Idle meat? Nah. That one priest of Diana, best pork roast you ever had. I can resist the temptation. You know what? And a lot of times, sometimes these orgy things that break out, that's all right. I'll ignore it. I'll go sit over here in the corner and I'll discuss theology with somebody. I can handle it. Verse 12 of Corinthians 10 says, he who thinks he can stand, take heed that he does not fall. Okay? You, you be very careful, Paul is saying. Everywhere they went, they would be exposed to idols. Trying to separate. Can you? Can you separate yourself from the idols? Paul says, look at Israel. They're barely out of Egypt. There's not a lot of distraction. The first chance that the leader kind of goes away, they identify back to the idols of Egypt. Here in Corinth is not Israel in the wilderness. You're living in the middle of idolatry. If the Corinthians were continue to expose themselves to idolatry, it's going to creep in. It's going to creep in. Okay? Paul, I read you a letter, 2 Corinthians, or 2 Timothy, chapter 2 and chapter 3. He says, understand difficulty will come in the end. All right? Let me ask you a question. The morality of our day, has it changed? Okay? Now be specific. How about the morality of the church? Has it changed? How's come? Do you understand that less than 20 years ago, things that were considered sacred are nowhere near sacred today? You know what? 20 years ago, when you went to a church, everybody had a Bible. It's a sacred. It's... I shared with you guys on the Wednesday night Bible study that you used to put, or maybe it's Tuesday, that the leadership class, that we used to put on our Bibles, Holy Bible. Now it's just Bible or somebody's study Bible. It's no longer holy. But it's gotten worse than that. It's gotten worse than that. Ask yourself a question. What yeast has influenced what society? Has the yeast of the world influenced the church or has the yeast of the church influenced the world? Let me see if I can make it simplistic. 
There's a danger the apostle is warning of here in 7. Idolatry. I believe that this may be your greatest danger. Okay? Why? What is the focus of the average Christian today? No, I don't want you guys to start thinking about your husband or your wife or your kids or who's sitting next to you. What is the primary focus that you have? Okay, and what I mean by that, what is it that takes up most of your thinking processes? Okay, because exactly what that is, is what the focus of the church will be. Because you can't divorce yourself from the church. A society that is destroying all morals that we live in will wear you down. It is unrelenting. You don't have an enemy who says, you know, we're going to do this for 90 days and then I'm out of here. If Paul warned Timothy that the church in difficult times at the end of the age would be lovers of yourselves, that the Christian in the church pew would be a lover of self, ask yourself a question. Was he right? Or as your immediate response says, he's not talking about me. In verse 7 of chapter 10, 1 Corinthians, it says some of them were, but not all, some of them. And it had already crept in. Verse Chapter 5, verse 9 says this, I wrote you a letter not to associate with immoral people. Verse 11, but actually I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or what? An idolater. Some of them had already done it. A reveler, a drunkard, a swindler, not even to eat with such a person. I don't want you to have anything to do with them. Gosh, that sounds harsh. How are you going to win people to Christ? So-called brothers. You can't continually expose yourself to idolatrous society and not have it affect you and your theology. Hear what I'm saying? You will find a way and the lines will get blurred. Right? I need you to go with me. Some fascinating stuff. Exodus chapter 32. Exodus chapter 32. You can't keep exposing yourself to the world system and have it not sway you. Whether it's your politics, whether it's your morality, whether it's your attitude, whatever it is, you can't keep focusing on that stuff and it not affect you. All right. You know, when I think about it, if you attend church service every Sunday for a year, you only get 52 messages. That's it. All right. If you attend two services a week, what did you just do? You've got 104 out of a year. And you believe now that what most... Information are you taking in? Okay, but, but man, you're talking about idolatry. Let me show you something. I want to show you what I call a horrible marriage. Okay? Now, people talk about marriage. And I want to show you a horrifying marriage. Chapter 32, the book of Exodus, verse 1. Now, when the people saw that Moses had been delayed, remember, they had been baptized into Moses. They identified with Moses and he's taken too long. Okay. He had been delayed to come down from the mountain. The people assembled around Aaron. Why? That's Moses' right hand man. And said to him, come, make us a God 
who will do what? Will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Okay? That's amazing stuff right there. What was the nation of Israel saying? We want God to go before us. But he says, I want you to make us a God. I want you to make us a God. Make us a God. Make us a God and to go before us. You know what they just did? They just married idolatry to God. You know why I say that? In your Bibles, it says, let us come, make us a God. It has a little G, doesn't it? Right? You know what the word is in the Hebrew? Elohim. That is not a little G. Elohim is God. Big G. Big G God. And you know what the Hebrew meaning for Elohim is? I know it's plural and all that stuff that everybody gets in. You know what it means? Goes before us. The Jews in the wilderness said, we know him. But we want you to make us one. Verse 2, Aaron said to them, I think this is his attempt to stop it. (laughs) He didn't put up a big fight. All right, Aaron said to them, tear off your gold rings, which are in your ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. Okay, I'll stop it. Why? They want something in front of them. They want some kind of idol. But you know what? These people are not going to sacrifice personal possessions to have this. You know what verse 3 says? They tore them off. You know what you just seen there? I am giving to God. Not only that, God's man has asked me to. You know what you just did? You made an idol to Jehovah. You know what you call that? There's a term in the Bible for that. You know what you call it? Blasphemy. That's what it's called. Blasphemy. You would make an idol unto God. You know, listen, I don't care what you make it out of. I don't care if it's a picture. I don't care what it is. A, a piece of toast, a tortilla. I don't care. That is blasphemous. You are taking the most high God and making an idol. But understand who they're serving. Who are they serving? They're not serving an idol. They're doing what? They're serving God. How are they doing it? Their way. They're doing it their way. Why? I sacrificed. I gave of my my own gold. Poor Aaron, he tried to stop him. Look at verse 4. He took this from their hand, he fashioned it into a graving tool, made it into a molten calf. They sat down and they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. He made the calf. He builds an altar in front of the calf. Who is he bringing glory to? The one who brought him out of Egypt. Right? Okay, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made his proclamation. Tomorrow shall be a feast to who? To the Lord. You know what the word is in your... Bible, it's a word that can't be spoken. Yahweh. It will, you probably will translate it Jehovah because that's a non-existent word. They use that because it's too holy to say the word Yahweh. And yet he proclaims that tomorrow on this altar with this golden calf, we are going to have a feast to who? Yahweh. His name is too holy to be said, but I've made a calf as an image unto him. All right, look at verse 5 or 6. So the next day they rose early and what happened? They offered the burnt offering. 
Okay, you know what the burnt offering is, right? That is the offering that goes before Jehovah for the propitiation of sin. Here's the burnt offering for our sin, and next is the peace offering. What did they do next? They offered the peace offering. Look at the worship instituted by God in Leviticus and Numbers, and you will find that before you go into the presence of the Most High God, first you atone for sin, second you make peace. What were they doing? They were marrying an idol and God. They were bringing the two together and calling them one. Okay? People sat down, they eat, they drink, and they rose up to play. You know what that means? They married idolatry to worship, worship of the true God, and they did it in the manner of a pagan. They'd been exposed to pagan worship for 400 years. It had left an impression on them. And the first time that their leader had stepped away, see, this is bizarre to me. I watch people who say, I want to be a part of the church. I want to submit to this leadership. I want to submit to this authority. Until what? Until you make me uncomfortable. And then I will go and I will worship my way. Man, when I tell you what, when I read this and I can look at signs around churches, it says we have a contemporary, we have a traditional, we have a blended, and all the rest of it. You know what I'm hearing? What have you married in your worship? What have you married in your worship? It's no different. Jesus was at the lady at the well at the Samaritan. She says, hey, we worship up on the hillside. The Jews, they worship over there in Jerusalem. They have traditional. We have contemporary. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Will come a time when you will worship in spirit and in truth. And the time is now. They had taken idols and they had blended it to the worship of the true God. They had taken the Lord Jesus Christ and married him to a demon. I'm going to do it my way. It says that they sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. Interesting phrase. Sit down to eat. You know what that means? Okay, to drink means you would partake of a hearty wine. Okay, what I mean by hearty wine is a, a nice way of saying you're going to get a buzz on. Okay, why? Because I say that is because the next one is to play. Well, what does that mean? It's the same word you see used in Genesis 26, 8. Okay? Pharaoh looks out his window. No, what? The king of Assyria looks out his window and he sees Isaac doing what? Some of your translations will say caressing. Some of your translations will say sporting with Rebecca. And he says, why didn't you tell me that was your wife? Okay, you know what the implication is there, right? So they sat down to eat. They sat down to drink and they got up to sport. All in front of an idol and in front of an altar that they claimed they were worshiping the true God with. Okay? Let me explain something to you about that. Verse 25, Now when Moses saw that the people were out of control, that literally means running around naked. Okay, that's what the word means. I mean, it says they're out of control. I'm thinking running around naked, drunk, is probably out of control. All right, here's what he says. Out of control, for Aaron had let them get out of control. I like that. To be a derision among the enemies. And Moses stood before the, ca- the gate of the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And the sons of Levi gathered together with him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Every man of you put his sword on his thigh and go back and forth from the gate to gate in that camp and you kill every man his brother and every man his friend and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did as Moses instructed and about 3,000 men fell that day. Why? Because God says you will not have any other gods before me.
which means you will worship me the way I call you to, and you will not worship me any other way. They bore the guilt. Okay? Now listen, not many died that day. About 3,000. Okay, but let me ask you a question. How many were laid low in the wilderness? All but two. All but two. They became useless. Why? It was idolatry. Listen, this is a freed people. This is a liberated people. And what did they do with their freedom? How much gold did they have when they were in Egypt? None. It was Pharaoh's gold. So even when they said, I'm going to give you my gold, how big a sacrifice was that? The Corinthians were doing the same. They had become Christian, but they never let go of the old life. They were hanging on to the false gods. Okay, let me show you one other text. Go back to uh, 1 Corinthians 10. Verse 20. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 20. I want to show you this. Okay, and you'll see where B.B. Warfield got his quote from. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 20. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to who? Not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. Okay? There was a marriage that was taking place in the church in Corinth. They were marrying demons to God. I'm going to worship God, the true living God, in the manner that I would worship a demon. You have freedom in Christ. You have a right to sit down and you have a right to eat. But know this, Paul says, if you keep doing this, you can end up useless. Why? Well, first, you can offend the weaker brother. We've already looked at that in depth. Secondly, you're going to put yourself into a position that you could literally be swallowed up by pagan idolatry, a saint. To the point that if you look at your text in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, you will literally be doing the work of the devil where? In the church. Paul warns, Israel, that whole generation was disqualified from usefulness. Why? It was a witness. It was an example. It was a testimony to us. Why? Because of idolatry. Why? Because there's that craving, that lusting of things. And I just look back over my shoulder and say, is it really that big a deal? Have you ever had that thought cross your mind? Is it really that big a deal? Well, Terry, come on, man, it's 2005. I don't see any statues running around. I don't see anything like that. How in the blue blazes does that affect me here in Castle Rock, Colorado? Well, let me tell you something that I've been fighting with. Okay? The Bible says there is nothing new under the sun. Okay? We, could, we hang really cool names on it. Uh, look, this is new age or this is this. Or, it, ain't, it ain't nothing new. I shared with you the story about the Samaritan woman. Remember Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman? How the Samaritans worshipped and how the Jews worshipped? Jesus' explanation that they would come a time when they would worship in spirit and truth proved one thing. Both were wrong. Both were wrong. Let me tell you something. I see people today who worship idols. I see people who worship Mary. I see people who worship the saints. I see people who worship angels. You know what? And that's basic Roman Catholicism. Um, listen, there are, I believe that there's some in the Roman Catholic Church that are saved. You come to know Jesus and they stay in that environment. They immersed in improper worship. They worship the wrong person. They worship personalities. They worship styles. And you know what? You stay in that long enough, it will affect your theology, and you will marry the Lord Jesus Christ to a demon. And you stay there long enough, you're useless. You're disqualified. Well, Terry, 
I come out of Catholicism. I'm a Protestant. Really. God wants me happy, Mr. Protestant. God wants me healthy, wealthy, and wise, Mr. Protestant. How do I worship? Go to a church today and say, how did you worship today? How do you describe your worship service? I've had those phone calls. How would you describe your worship service? Mr. Protestant, how do you describe your worship service? Is it a production? Is it for me? Oh, I walked out of there jazzed up. I had a song in my mind and I just couldn't get off my mind all day long. Well, they don't have any singles. But they don't have any young people. They don't have any old people. They don't have this. They don't have that. What's the purpose there? Me. Myself and I. I've seen people who are immersed in study of Scripture for themselves. Why do you study so much? Are you attending a church? No. But I need to study. Well, why are you studying so much if you don't attend a church? Because it's for me. I see it in the blending of psychology with truth. Okay? Let me tell you, here's the fundamental thing about psychology. Who's the focus? It's that simple. Who's the focus? What'd you just do? Well, Moses up on the mountaintop. I need something to do. Make me a calf. And I'll worship the thing. I'll sit down. I'll eat. I'll throw up. Hey, you know what? I'll even give you some cash. What's the difference, people? That's the Protestants today. Look around you, brothers and sisters. Look around you. We all say, well, I listen to this guy on TV. I listen to this guy on the radio. I read this guy's book. Or I did this. Or I did that. Ask yourself a simple question. When you're reading that, ask yourself, who is the focus? Who is the focus? Who you're listening to? Who is the focus? What you're watching on television? Who is the focus? What material? I'm reading a commentary. Who wrote it? What's their focus? How many said in church hear untrue things about God and wonder why they have a feeble Christian life? Listen to this one. You've heard this. They have a very relative message. What the heck does that mean? What does it mean to have a relative message? Ask yourself these questions. Why? Because if the leader gets up on the mountaintop, what are you going to chase after? That's what Paul's warning us about. That's what Israel did. See, we mix false with truth. And all you're doing is you're just poisoning yourself a little bit at a time. See, nobody in this room is dumb enough to just go out and take a whole big old bottle full of Sinai and say, I think I can overcome this. You've heard the illustration, how do you cook a frog, a live frog? Turn the heat up just a little bit at a time and you'll cook him. You believe our enemy says, well, I'm just going to walk up and say, my name is Antichrist. And I would like you to follow me because I'm a false teacher and this way will lay parallel to truth, but it's not truth, so come, follow me. And yet what we will do is slowly court the idol. And as long as you are courting the idol, you'll never divorce it. We're just going out on a date. Some of you may not know what courting is. But so I'll use date. You're dating the idol. Why? Well, isn't that big? I'm strong in my faith. I'm mature. And that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell us. If I asked any of you in here how you are saved, you would all have the same answer. But you know what? I know for a fact that I give you these next two that there would be a change in answers. You know that? Three things that I've said that I, my wife has affirmed me, and she says, yes, that's good, Terry. Choose those. 
Okay. <laughs> Three things that I'll die for. One, how are you get saved? Okay. Two, how you get sanctified? Three, how do you build the church? Go backwards now. Building of the church, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. I shall build my church, and the abode of the dead can't stop it. Jesus is basically saying, you know what? This plant is so foolproof, you can kill them, and it'll still grow. The one that gets me in probably the most trouble is sanctification. What I find in sanctification is the book of Ephesians. I'm not going to go into it in detail. You have chapter 4 is how you build the church. And it comes in light of chapters 1 through 3. <coughs> the key to it, <coughs> excuse me, man. The key to it is that he who descended is he himself. No, I don't want to start there. Verse 11, he gave some as apostles and prophets. Those were the foundation people. All right. So we, we should be done with the foundation. Okay. And he gave some as evangelists and pastor teachers. For what? The equipping of the saints for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ. Till we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man and to the measure of the stature which belongs in the fullness of Christ. What is the fullness of Christ? It is the body of Christ. Chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. But speaking the truth in love, we grow up in all aspects to him who is the head, even Christ. And the whole body is being fitted and held together by every joint that supplies according to the proper working of each individual and causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Firm one another with the Lord, and you no longer walk as the Gentiles also walk, but in their futility of mind, they're they're being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God. Okay? And yet, what do we see today? What do we see today? Take your average Christian, ask them how to get saved, and every one of you in this room and probably average Christian would agree on how to get saved. The next two is where we go astray. Why? That is the witnessing community. Those are the ones who are identified with the person of who? Christ. And the church is what? The fullness of Christ. How has the church grown? Supernaturally gifted men and women to do what? To teach. To come alongside. To bear burdens. To walk arm in arm. Shoulder in shoulder. It isn't a whole, he's out front and you follow. We're all together. That's the war. Why? Because I will build my church and the abode of the dead won't stop it. The gates of hell won't stop it. Of Hades won't stop it. We've got to get a hold of this. Why? Because the issue is a heart issue. It's idolatry. Can this happen today? Can I marry the true living God that I know who indwells me with an idol? Okay, what idols are there then? I don't have an idol. I, I came out of Catholicism. I'm not in idolatry worship or anything like that. Let me give you a list quick. Ego, first, foremost. Ego is an idol. Fame is an idol. Money is an idol. Education is an idol. Family is an idol. Position is an idol. Relationships are an idol. Sex is an idol. Golf, football, tennis, clothes, cars. You name it, we'll worship it. How many in this room bow to those idols? People who have their Christianity, but they marry it to something else that they worship. Ezekiel chapter 14. You don't have to turn there. I want to see, you talk about the nail on the head. Chapter 14, verses 3 and 4. Here's what Ezekiel said. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man. Okay. These men. Who's these men? These men contextually are the elders of Israel. You understand who that is, right? The elders of Israel have set up their idols in their hearts and they have put right before their faces the stumbling block of their iniquity. Should I consult? Should I be consulted by them at all? See, the the elders of Israel want information and they'd already done what? 
sought their idols. Therefore speak to them and tell them, Thus says the Lord God, Any man of the house of Israel who sets up his idol in his heart puts it right before his face. See, you can have your idol and nobody knows it. I can hide it. Paul says, It was the law of coveting that condemned me. Coveting, coveting, coveting. See, you can covet and nobody ever sees you doing it. Okay? I find that fascinating. If we murder, got caught. That's what it's all about, brothers and sisters. That's what the Apostle Paul is writing here. I mean, I read this and I go back and I understand the history of Corinth. I know what was going on in Corinth. I see that picture. I understand it clearly. And I look around us and I see nothing but idols. Idols. Anything untrue about God is idol worship. Anything other than God is idol worship. Please understand that. If you don't believe it, hang around long enough and it will bring you into a place of compromise. Israel couldn't even get far far away from Egypt where they were bringing their idols in. Corinth was immersed in it and they had a problem dealing with idols. As long as they hung around the idols, as long as they hung around the feast, the true same today. As long as you hang around it, you will never be free from it. As long as you court the idol, there's no way you can ever divorce it. As long as you date the idol, there's no way you can divorce it. Remember what I shared with you. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but I shall be mastered by none. Okay? I'll ask you a question. I mean, you're all here. What time is it? All right, perfect. Um, you're here. You have a love for the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And some of you aren't acknowledging me. I don't know what that means. Okay? My question is, would you say this day that the Lord Jesus Christ masters you? Then I have to ask one more question. Who have you married him with? What becomes our God? What is the altar? What is our molten calf that stands before God? Sports? Job? Family? Did you know that? Your family can become an idol in place of God? Why? You start saying things that are untrue about God. Or he, that family becomes more important than God? Well, but God gave... No, 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 no. You better read it. What's the first and greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay? And yet I see men and women who make idols of the other. I see uh, people make idols of their kids, their grandkids. I see people make idols of cars. I see people make idols of jobs, of overtime, of paychecks, of money, of pleasure. Let me ask you a question. Whatever your idol is today, can you divorce the two? Let me tell you something. Israel, a whole generation, was disqualified. Paul is warning the Corinthians that they are dis- could become disqualified. You know what? So might you if you have idols. Better pay attention to this one. Because the Corinthian society is very similar to the society that you live in. And there will be no other gods before him. Let's pray. Father, I praise you for your word. I praise you for the ability to overcome sin in our hearts. I praise you that you have given us this word as an example, as a warning. I praise you, Lord, that you have given these amazing things to us, these amazing truths. Father, please, please allow us to bow to your wisdom and to your way. In Christ's precious name. heard a little story this week. I want to share it with you. There was Hunter in the woods. He was bear hunting. 
came around the corner, he looked up there and there was a bear. He drew his rifle down, laid the crosshairs on the bear, and got ready to squeeze the trigger. And all of a sudden the bear turned around and looked at him in a nice, soft, mellow, gentle voice said, what are you doing? And the hunter just kind of freaked up. He looks up over his scope and says, oh. He says, what is it you want? And the hunter said, I just wanted a warm coat. And the bear says, can't we talk about it? Can't we work this thing out? And the hunter said, well, I guess. So he lowers his rifle. The bear says, all I ever wanted was a, a, a full belly. So I think if we negotiate this thing, we can come to a conclusion where we'll both get what we want. About an hour later, the bear comes walking out of the woods by itself. He got a fur coat, and the bear got a full belly. That's compromise. Okay? You better grab a hold of that one. Because the hunter is now useless. Useless. Useless.